This is Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. The Hip Hop Caucus Hurricane Ida Relief Fund is raising funds to directly benefit family and individuals impacted by Hurricane Ida and who are in need of urgent assistance throughout the Gulf Coast. Every dollar raised will go directly to families and people as cash for things they most need right now, whether it be food, gas, lodging, medicine, or other emergency expenses. Hip Hop Caucus will be matching the first $10,000 donated. Please donate immediately. Go to hiphopcaucus.org or text IDA to 66539. Again, go to hiphopcaucus.org or text IDA to 66539. Now let's get ready for the coolest show. This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climbing rules, everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your office. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing wonderful. How are you, my dear sister? Oh, it's a lot going on, baby. A lot going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for your time. We're we going to get right to when you're ready. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, let me just say this to you. On behalf of the Black delegation, <laughs> we want to thank you for all you've done for our community and our people. Uh, you are truly a blessing. You're so welcome. This is my life. This is what I do. And um, I look forward to us winning on many of these issues uh, that we're dealing with. And right now, uh, we are dealing with the rental assistance issue. And this is the issue where I put $46.6 billion into uh, the program. And so that money has gone out to the states. The governor's got the money. And that money went to the counties and the cities from the governor's office. And for some reason, they have not been able to get the money out. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do uh, with the fact that they didn't know how to do it. This is an, a different kind of program that's never been done uh, before. This is a lot of money for them to manage in a short period of time. I think they needed to staff up. I think they uh, also needed to... Uh, simplify the forms uh, that are used by the renters so that they could get uh, their rental assistance and the landlords, in particular the small ones, could get their money. And so it hasn't happened in the way that um, we envisioned it, uh, but money is certainly not the issue. We've got plenty of money in this program and we need but have renters to apply and for, um, you know, the governors to make sure that the renters can apply in a way uh, that they all can deal with the forms and the questions, et cetera, and get that money to the landlords who have been waiting sometimes almost a year uh, or uh, the uh, back payments on the rent that that's due. 
So that's a big issue right now. And of course, we're working on the infrastructure program with the repair of the bridges and the roads and the water systems. And in that, I'm fighting to make housing as a part of infrastructure uh, because of the lack of available housing for low income, uh, you know, workers, uh, for families who are on, uh, you know, limited wages, et cetera, et cetera. The units are just not there. We need to build millions of units in this country. Homelessness is a real issue. And to the degree that we have not been able to truly conquer COVID-19, it's getting worse. And with Delta uh, coming along, I'm so worried uh, that even more people are going to end up on the street. So these are the immediate issues that we're dealing with, uh, not to even identify the ongoing issues of police reform uh, and, uh, you know, dealing with the voting rights and the voting rights bills that are being held up uh, over in the Senate, the John Lewis bill, uh, the HR1 and the SS1 and uh, uh, SR1. And the fact that we have a couple of Democrats over on the Senate side uh, who are not working in the best interest of Democrats. And um, we need those votes because it's so close. We need those two votes. And uh, Cinema of out of uh, Arizona and Manchin uh, are both working their own programs in their own way. And they're the ones who have insisted on this bipartisan so-called infrastructure bill where they cut uh, basically from what the president wanted, $3 trillion to deal with all of these issues is down to like one trillion maybe now. And so a lot had to be cut out and uh, it's gonna be before us on the house side within a matter of one or two weeks. And we've got to make a decision about whether or not we're gonna vote for this so-called bipartisan bill and what that means in terms of reconciliation and whether or not in order to get to reconciliation, uh, this bill stands in the way and we've got to decide you know, those of us who come from the progressive end of uh, public policy, we've got to decide how we deal with this. So these are the issues that are confronting us. And these are the issues that we wake up every day uh, having to think about. But more than that, thinking about the least of these. So we're talking about people who lost their jobs, maybe doing COVID-19, the businesses closed down. We're talking about discrimination and, uh, you know, people who have been looking for jobs, uh, but they have not been able to get through uh, this process of uh, going on the internet and sending in their applications and someone sitting there going through them saying they didn't say the right words. They didn't have the right words to connect with what we're looking for and they're going in, you know, into the wastebasket. And I know that's how they do it uh, because I had a grandson uh, who was doing that in a job that he was in. And at that time he wasn't even 25 years old and he was sitting there uh, deciding whether or not the application uh, that was sent had the words in it uh, that connected with what they were looking for. And if not, it goes in the wastebasket. So we have a lot of things to deal with, but that's our challenge, and that's our chore. It is, and you've always been a fighter for our people and our community. You know, a lot of young people listen to this to this podcast, The Coolest Show, and actually become one of the top podcasts 
how can particularly young and you, you've always been such a champion for young black gifted uh, in the individuals, but how can young people particularly um, and those within the hip hop community and the culture help you and those who are fighting on Capitol Hill? How does that happen? Well, uh, actually, you know, what has, you know, happened in the past is interested people volunteer in campaigns, interested people get involved in the community and the community centers or with projects that uh, they envision about helping unwed mothers or, you know, all kinds of things and nonprofits that people come up with on their own. But other than that, the information that's available on the internet on television, in the media period, is information that must be kept up with. We must encourage our young people to read and to call their legislators and to call in, you know, to the governments and ask questions and then decide that they want to get active in dealing with solving problems or working with an elected official or getting in a campaign, get connected in ways uh, that will help them to use their talents. We have so many smart young people out here uh, that don't know how much power they have. And so they need to get connected. Just, you know, uh, call your elected official, uh, you know, ask about the campaigns. I know COVID-19 has limited the person-to-person contact a lot and everything is being dealt with on the internet, which makes it a little bit more difficult uh, to deal with uh, and in our communities, oftentimes, where you have uh, grandmothers who are raising kids who are not, uh, you know, on the Internet, uh, who maybe even don't have computers, they're out of it. And at one uh, of our um, vaccination centers in Los Angeles early on, which we had to get corrected, you had to go on the Internet and make a reservation. There were no walk-in opportunities. And so... People uh, in certain communities were coming uh, because they didn't even know that's how you had to do it. Uh, They didn't know that you had to make a reservation. And when some tried to walk in, they were turned away. We fixed all of that. But just think how many people got missed uh, because uh, they are not computer literate or they don't own computers. And so we've got to have the young people who are uh, computer literate, and all of them are, believe me. We've got to get them to help mother, help grandmama, help uh, the neighbor, you know, do that. We have applications to be made for everything from unemployment to the PPP program to help small businesses. And I ran into very small businesses that just couldn't get through the application process. I said, where's your daughter? Where's your grandson? Get them over here. And of course, with one of the restaurants I worked with, she did get her daughter over there. Her daughter went on the internet and finished the application so she could get the PPP money. So this is a kind of encouragement and pushing that we have to do. But if young people keep up with the information and know what's going on, uh, I think they would use their talents and their skills uh, to help out. And so I'm saying to the churches, you know, that Sunday morning service is good. But you have in your congregation, you got lawyers, you got MBAs, you got all kinds of talented people. Connect them with, you know, the parishioners who need some help and help them to get these applications filled out 
because so much is done on the, on the computer. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm trying to do. And I think, you know, we have something called uh, this, uh, this child tax credit. It is fabulous. With the child, ta- uh, child uh, tax, tax credit, what we're doing is we're assisting families with what they need for their children to have the clothing to go to school, uh, to you know, be able uh, to you know, um, you know, have some recreation, uh, to be able to help them uh, perhaps with some tutoring. Let me tell you how it works. And, and Lord, uh, uh, one of our um, Congress people, Delaro Rosa Delaro, is basically responsible. She's been working on. Uh, the tax credit for families with children for years. But this time we all got together and guess how it came out? Every child from the ages of birth to six years old will get $300 per month. Wow. And beyond that, from six to 17, you'll get $250 per month. And you are eligible if the family income, a single person can make up to $90,000 and a couple up to $150,000 and you're eligible for your children uh, to get this money. And guess what? It's not for one child or two child. You can have four children, five children. Each one of them is eligible for that amount of money. And I'm having a hard time. We're having a hard time all over the country getting people uh, to apply for the program. Well, hopefully folks hear it right now. And, and you know, Councilman Waters, you know, you've been so amazing. And uh, recently, a lot of the young folks and a lot of people in general look at you and they say, man, why are more politicians like Congresswoman Maxine Waters? Um, they've been encouraged recently by, obviously, Congresswoman Cori Bush and her recent stand. And I guess that goes to the point. We know that the, the housing, as you mentioned earlier, is, is critical. But, yeah. but when we think about housing and we think about People being thrown out, particularly where you are in California, into wildfires. Uh, we think about folks being thrown out into just the, this crazy weather we're having now. Folks being thrown out into a pandemic. How, how is that possible? Why don't we have more politicians who have a heart like you? Like, is it what's 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 missing here? When they they, they seem so heartless on, on Capitol Hill. It's a lot of hope in our young people and in our millennials, particularly on issues like climate change and what is happening with the fires, what's happening with the flooding, what's happening with the extremes in the temperatures. We do have a lot of young people who are interested. And as you know, AOC has a bill on uh, climate change and a lot of young people are gravitating to that. Blacks are bringing up the rear on the whole issue of climate change. And the need to be more focused on it is certainly there. And sometimes as I wonder about all of the issues that are confronting us, and if some of them are just so uh, in an emergency stage of where I'm gonna live, where I'm gonna eat, uh, that they're not focusing on the fact that, like you said, the fires are burning and uh, exploding and expanding and uh, the weather is changing drastically. And um, so I think that one of the things that we did do some years ago, which again, we need more attention to, we started to pay attention uh, to, you know, the, um, 
not only, you know, what was going on in our communities uh, with stored toxic products in some of these factories and wholesale places in our community where they had, uh, you know, empty buildings or warehouses. And this is where they brought all the stuff. And then, you know, you know uh, that what is happening with all of this toxicity is it's going right into our bodies and into our children. And a lot, I think, of inability for our children to learn who have been placed in all of these classes uh, because somehow they're behind and they're tagged. It's a lot happening uh, with the atmosphere and the environment and the food and all of that uh, that is putting some of our young children in a position where they're being damaged at a very early age. Now, we did pay attention to many of the big uh, oil refineries, particularly in places like Louisiana. And I have some in my district. And in Louisiana, when I was working on this issue with uh, Danny Glover, I think, and some people years ago, they had to sound the alarm in the refinery when uh, the uh, fumes uh, that was coming out of the refinery was seeping into the neighborhoods and tell everybody, close your doors, close your windows. And this went on. It may still be going on for years that these homes were in the shadow of these refineries that was releasing this toxicity into the air. And then at certain times, everybody had to run in the house, close the windows, close the doors, and wait until the alarm stops before they could go back out. We've got to be concerned about the climate. We've got to be concerned about the environment. And so I'm just hopeful that we could get to the point where we could get beyond the emergency situations of you know, housing and homelessness so that we can deal uh, with all of the other issues that are impacting our health and our well-being. Some of our white counterparts in the environmental movement say that's the reason that they don't approach us. They say that well, we don't really approach people of color and particularly black and brown and indigenous people because they got so much going on. And so, um, and that's that's true, but you're saying something different. You're saying, yes, we have those things going on, but we have to be engaged in the climate crisis as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it, it was us who took on uh, uh, lead paint in the housing projects and in buildings. Uh, we had a lot... Uh, going on. We've always had a lot that we have to pay attention to, but we were the ones uh, that brought the attention of lead paint uh, to HUD and to the public. Our children were, uh, you know, chewing on, you know, the baseboards and stuff as little kids will do. And while, uh, you know, someone would say, well, we're too worried. We got to find food. You got to do it all. You got to do it both. And so I think we're capable uh, we've got to have more discussions, more interaction. You know, if I could substitute some of the time that's on television for nonsense and foolishness, as, as my grandmama used to say, uh, then we could focus on real discussion about what we need to be paying attention to and what we have the power and the influence to deal with. So I'm an optimist. And like, you know, I may go to bed at night and I may be as disgusted as you can get. One good night's sleep, I get up in the next morning, I'm ready to brawl. I'm ready to do it. So uh, I never give up. <laughs> I know, listen, and I can tell to anybody, that, that is a fact in that case. You know, Councilman, <laughs> you know, being from L.A., being from, well, being in, in your district in California, you know, and in your career, you have focused on many issues. 
Can you tell us why a legislator from California is supporting legislation to protect the Arctic? Uh, the who? To protect the Arctic. How are you? You're at the forefront oh, now of protecting yeah. the Arctic. How did how did you go from sunny California? Now I'm with protecting the Arctic. That's a great thing. But how did you go from LA to be at the forefront of protecting the Arctic? Well, you know, I could can, can, I could tell you how we go from you know LA to a lot of things. But let me just tell you a little bit about the Arctic. Uh, in addition to uh, the uh, melting of uh, the ice and what that means, Russia has basically claimed the Arctic. They've been up there for years and they are building and uh, they are manufacturing and uh, they are basically putting themselves in a position where they will benefit from any thing that's going on in that area. But I want to tell you, the Arctic uh, is extremely important to the entire Earth and to the world. And what happens up there will determine whether or not we have flooding. It will determine whether or not we have erosion. It will determine whether or not uh, you will have communities and towns with the sea rising uh, to eliminate the land and all of that. So that's part of climate change and what's happening. And the other thing is, if Russia is positioned in a way uh, that they can command you know, space in the Arctic, uh, they can determine a lot about climate change and what's going on up there. Thank you for that. And I know in your, in your district in, in L.A. Uh, includes Compton, where we have oil rigs um, that lie in the backyards of Black and Latinx communities. Can you, can you tell us how you understand how that harms particularly those people in your own, in, in your community? Well, let me just say, uh, I don't really have Compton. Compton is to the south of me. Uh, I have parts of uh, South Los Angeles. Um, and, uh, you know, my district has changed a lot and it's gotten to the point where it's about 23% African-American, uh, almost 50% Latino, and the rest is Asian, about 15%. Wow. And so the district has changed drastically. However, in South part of Los Angeles, it's synonymous with some of the issues that they have in Compton. As a matter of fact, I just filed uh, a well put together complaint against the sheriffs uh, and the sheriff departments who supplies the, um, the so-called security for Compton. Compton does not have its own police force. So they purchase the services from the county sheriffs and they're being run over uh, by the sheriffs. We have sheriffs who have gangs inside the sheriffs. They have tactics that's been going on for years and they get initiated in uh, as the rumors go and as we are ex exploring and investigating uh, when they uh, kill. And so I have two uh, people who have been killed in the past year uh, that was in the overall Gardena, South Central area uh, by the sheriffs from, you know, who service Compton. Uh, one was a young man that was shot in the back multiple times as he ran uh, because he was afraid uh, of the sheriffs. Uh, the other was another young man that got shot multiple times on his bicycle. And so I've asked for a formal investigation uh, by uh, the Justice Department uh, on these issues. The Justice Department is moving. They're doing the same kind of investigation in Arizona. And they're looking at uh, practice 
and, and the way that uh, these issues have been evolving and people knowing and understanding what's going on and the complaints. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with issues that certainly impact Compton uh, because we have some serious problems within the sheriff's department in the way that they treat, you know, particularly, uh, you know, African-Americans and Latinos uh, in the way that they police them. I just have two more questions for yes. you. One, one question really is for um, you speaking directly to black women and young black women. There has been this an amazing amount of young black women we've seen uh, who are doing things from voting rights, athletes um, who are doing their thing um, across the sector, um, civil rights, um, and they look to you. They, they see you and, and, and they, they just listen to and gleam every word you say. What would you want to tell them to, to continue to be encouraged and continue to tell them what they need to do to fight this good? One of the things we need to do is we will not, we should not let our young people be devoid of history. And so, and everything that we do, we should, you know, look at a historic perspective and then connect it to what is going on now. And that's done in so many ways. For example, I'm going to be speaking to a group of uh, women on Sunday, and they're talking about African-American women uh, and the connection. And so I'm gonna start with telling a lot of these young women who Winnie Mandela was, and who Nelson Mandela was, and what apartheid was all about, and how they had to struggle against an apartheid regime uh, to have freedom and independence, and what that struggle was all about, and how I, and others connected with them to get rid of apartheid. I had the legislation in California to divest all of our firms from doing businesses with firms that were doing business in South Africa. And Ron Bellums and others joined, and we were able uh, to basically get legislation to divest uh, from these businesses doing business. And it caught on like wildfire and uh, Winnie Mandela you know, she basically popularized the saying, uh, when you touch a woman, you have touched a rock. And that is something that I'm using as part of what I'm talking about. When you have touched black women, you've touched a rock. And all they need to do is know and understand where we came from and what it meant, you know, to have, uh, you know, uh, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, people like uh, Shirley Chisholm, or we're talking about Dorothy Height, or we're talking about uh, you know women who have come through the civil rights movement, who have gotten us to this point, and open up the opportunities for appointments and jobs and help to educate people about voting and the uh, marches and everything that they did. And so now they're trying to take us back and saying to those who think you're safe and you got the right to vote and you know you can vote, well, there are others who they're saying, you don't have the right identification. Oh, you want to vote on early days. We're cutting that out. Oh, our polling uh, situations are such that you're going to have to stand in line for hours because we don't have enough polling booth to discourage them. Or either saying like they did in Atlanta, oh, for people standing in line, you can't give them water and refreshment. That's going to be illegal. And so we have to point to voter suppression and what it is and how it is being revisited on us. 
And so all of the work that was done historically that brought us to the point where, you know, we began to vote and we understand what voting is all about. All of that is at risk. And H.R. 1 is a bill that we have to help do away with the kind of laws that they are trying to come up with that would suppress our vote. So we got to tell the story. And when I talk to these women on Sunday, I'm going to be telling the story. I tell the story everywhere I go. And we now have members of the Congressional Black Caucus who are doing the same, fighting hard. We just lost John Lewis. Uh, but the story of John Lewis walking across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where I've been going ever since, they've been walking across the bridge every year. We got to tell them, come on. I took a whole group of walks with me one year, young people, down to Selma to walk across that Edmund Pettus Bridge. And we have to keep encouraging them, come on, go with us. Let me take you to someplace where you can see something. And when they were there, they had a chance to sit with the old timers who were sitting out on the front of these stores who had been involved in that march and been involved in fighting for voter registration, who could sit there with young people and tell them the stories of what was happening. So we gotta do everything. And look, one of the things I know is black people are extraordinarily creative. We've had to be in order to survive. Stop thinking uh, that you've got to go along with somebody else's rules or you can't do something because they don't do it that way anymore. Use the same brains of your forefathers who got us to where we are now and teach those lessons and take them by the hand and, you know, give them things to read on and on and on. Because I believe in these young people and I believe in the possibilities. I just tweeted something about Simone Biles and I said, that's what courage is all about. That's what confidence is all about. That's what determination is all about. Here is one of the greatest athletes in the world who went through something uh, and they have a name for it where what, when you're in the air, the brain does something. Uh, twisties. Twisties. That's what they was explained to all of us. And this happened to her and she didn't land uh, in the way that she would normally have landed because she is the greatest. And so she could have said, uh, you know, as she was saying, you know, this is the problem that I've got to deal with. It's got some mental aspects to it. But she came back. Now, I tell you, it took a lot to do that. I don't know if I could have done that. She came back and walked away with a bronze medal. That's confidence. That's determination. And that's what I want us to have an appreciation for. We all have it. We just got to come to grips with it and know whom we are and uh, use it. Well, this is my last question for you. First, thank you for your time. Thank you for this okay. who you are. And as you know, thank you for bringing up Shirley Chisholm. And as you as you know, I was mentored by Dr. Dorothy Irene Height. So thank you for bringing her up. That was my girl. That yeah, was my friend. Yeah, I miss her so much. Um, and so actually this question goes to that legacy. Um, you know, you are clearly, and I know you know this, one of our heroes, sheroes <laughs> in the movement. And so you will have, you've already carved out your legacy. Um, when, you, when you think about, and I want you to get, well, this is a question I'm speaking to the future. I want to give you the opportunity to speak to them. If you think about now, this is, we're now, this is obviously uh, 2021. 20, 100 years from now, will be 2121. Um, they will look back and they will probably hear about the amazing stories of Congresswoman Maxine Waters. They're going to be like, man, Man, she was something else. Um, they, unfortunately, because of the climate crisis, because of all things that are going on, 
they're not only fighting for equality, they're probably fighting for existence. If you can speak to them, speak to the future right now, kind of like, like a time capsule, speak the to them, thing, what would you want to tell okay. that generation? Well, the first thing I want them to know is from whence I came. I am one of 13 children who was raised part-time on welfare, who was raised by, uh, most of the time, a single mother in between a couple of marriages. And she was one who said, make do with what you got. Uh, you don't ever say, I can't. You go to school even if you don't have the snow boots to walk in the snow. And we did that. And our little socks were wet and we put them on the radiator and dried them off when we got to school. We didn't have the raincoats. We didn't have everything that we needed. And we had to share with food in certain ways. But, you know, to tell you the truth, we went to church every Sunday. She polished those little shoes and starched those little dresses and with a smoothing iron, didn't have electricity. And we went to church and we were there with our little speeches on Easter Sunday and, you know, Christmas time when you got your speeches and all of that. And during the summer, we had Bible classes in people's homes. But one of the things that uh, they instilled in us was good, good values. You know what I mean? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you appreciate and respect others? How is it, if you have something, uh, you must share it with others who don't have anything. And so these values stick with you. And I want young people who are getting married and having children to remember, don't leave it up to someone else to teach your child values. This must be a part of your daily life. Not only must you teach it at the dinner table, uh, but you should talk about it uh, in discussions when you're doing homework. You can't cheat. You gotta be prepared. Teach these values. And then when you're teaching your children values, it won't leave them. Even if they go off the wrong track, they're coming back for the most part because they know what they've been taught, what's been instilled in them. And then you're building up the belief in self. You're building up confidence. You're building up the kind of feeling of security uh, that you know that you is just as important as anybody else and you have influence and you have a say. And if you understand uh, that you are as important as anybody else and you have a right uh, to your opinions and you, you will express it, then that's what's going to move you and your community and our people forward, always. Don't shy away and don't be intimidated. That's the most thing. Don't be intimidated because intimidation is used as a tool to quiet you down and to shut you up. And for many Black people, we have had to live with intimidation through slavery. If you don't do this, you're going to get whipped. You're going to get killed. If you don't do this, you know, uh, you're going to be denied food. Intimidation is something that must not uh, determine your life. And you must feel the confidence. And so what I would say to, you know, young people, I have been blessed uh, with a mother who had nothing, but she sure was strong-willed and strong-minded. And she was a mother with all these children, but she never failed to go up to the schools 
to talk with the teachers and to find out what our children were doing. These parents are who are too busy to get to the school or to find out what's bothering their child and to not know what the curriculum is and not know what's going on. You got to get unbusy because if you don't get unbusy, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to instill these values and to really know and understand who your child is. And you want to grow up children with confidence who will stand up, who will speak up and who will do what needs to be done, not only to be individually successful, but for the whole community, for our people, for our nation. Councilwoman Maxine Waters, thank you, thank you, thank you for your life, for your service. Thank you so much because you are part of the talking drum. And the talking drum is what gets the message out there. Being with you today, some other people, young people, are going to hear what we're talking about. And it may energize them if they're not already energized. It may instill in them the confidence that they just needed in order to move and to organize. Let, let me wrap this up by saying, uh, for Juneteenth, uh, millennials in my district decided they weren't going to go ask nobody for permission. They created a Juneteenth parade and had several hundred uh, young people out there who organized in their own way and took over the streets. And they blessed me with being their grand marshal. And so we were out on the street with them. They didn't say, oh, they won't give us a license downtown uh, by which to do this. I don't think we can't get enough cars in the parade and my car is not good enough. And none of that stuff. They just came out, put it together and we did it. That's what I like. And that's our guest today. She is Councilwoman Maxine Waters, and I am Rev Hewitt, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, Councilman. God bless you. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us at Think100Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you